Welcome to A Frame Apart, the podcast where every episode we compare two films, whether that comparison is obvious or not. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm your other host, Bob Barrow. And welcome to episode 106. There it is. Forgot last week? Got it Forgot this week. last week. Well, I was still really sick last week. You were, you were was... a little delirious. There were, there were, there were fluids. <laughs> I was in. There were, there were various uh, head fluids. There was lots of the plegma. The yeah. Plegma? The plegma. So you're riddled with plague. She's been around rats and lacking no. religious bonfires. It's everybody. a it's a it's a reference to cabaret. There's a scene oh. in cabaret where they're all lunching together, the and there's no. She has the she's is she's a German woman. She's trying to explain. She's had a cold, and she has the the plegma. And everybody's going plegma. What are you talking about? And Liza goes, Oh, you mean phlegm? Because she's learning English, so they gather together to speak English. And Liza teaches her that that's actually pronounced as phlegm, not plegma. Well, if there's good, important English words to know, <laughs> instead of instead, well, that sounds straight. Well, everything in German sounds angry anyway. It's true. But episode one hundred and six, we uh, we again apologize for the the tardiness of uh, last week's episode, but we hope you guys enjoyed our first uh, sachet into the world of westerns i like the idea of sashaying away into the world of westerns i think rupaul would be proud and approve well you know they had that the ill-advised musical western paint your wagon or whatever so hey hey sashay. it was ill-advised what about oklahoma that's a musical different wait as opposed to wh- wh- a I'm western that has singing in it oh but that's that's a musical as well yeah but it was a western paint wagons yeah that had singing in it, yeah. not a, a, a musical, musical that with, happened to be set in the West. Yeah, it's like not all scotch is whiskey, but all whiskey is scotch or vice versa. Nitty picky. My, <laughs> my brain is soft today. All right, but we, yes, we are we are out of the Westerns and uh, snapping back into a little black and white action for this week because it is we back are. to school season. It is. And since it's back to school season, we decided to start off on uh, a bit of a heavier note. Next week will be a little bit lighter. We'll have some simpler fare for well not simpler but just slightly more digestible fare this week is a more important week i think though as the children are going back to school as the united states is faced with various different things that as are problematic canada, and gonna, as canada is facing I many of the same problems we need to make a point because everyone i know loves to share all the stuff going on in the states and we know that oh yeah but we have our own problems in this province i was getting to it that it would be nice if people got involved and Paid attention to what's we going on We, of course, there. do. And in Ontario, we have issues that are happening with now no one on social media, no no, in, no uh, media outlets on social media are allowed to discuss climate change. They're not allowed to use the terms. There was an... Uh, that that has since been revoked. Sorry, but... no media outlets on social media? Yeah. I think I think what you're referring to is the departments in the Ontario government were given a mandate that they weren't it allowed to It was sent use. out to the press. Well, the Ontario government can't control that. No, so of that course seems... they can't. That's not going to stop them from ask, from telling them that they're forbidden to use terminology like climate change. It's not that they can't uphold it, but it's not to stop them from saying it. Oh, I, I only heard about the ones with the ministry offices. but It was ministry okay. offices and it had been sent out to some press. Uh, that, that was the way they were going. And oh. it was pretty quickly quashed and... Uh, there was a lot of backstepping on that. Well, we never said such a thing. And it's like, we got the emails, bitch. What what of it? But there's a lot of stuff going on in Ontario specifically. And as a result, we'll radiate out to the rest of Canada. That has basically been compromising integrity and compromising the well-being of... 
Everyone. Everyone, basically. So this week, we decided it would be important to kind of shine a light on all of the really horrible things that have been happening and why it's so important to keep turning to reason in these troubled times. So we will be discussing Inherit the Wind versus To Kill a Mockingbird. And what did we say? And the Desperate Cry for Reason. Exactly. That's Fancy Dan title. Fancy Dan title. So... Uh, we are going to start alphabetically, as we are wont to do, as Ariel. As we are What want. is the first film we're discussing today, Ooh. if we're looking at it alphabetically? Because back to school, you should know your alphabets by now. <laughs> your alphabets? Your alphabets. <laughs> should know which cereal is which. It's important, you know. It is. So we'll be beginning with Inherit the Wind, the original version from 1960, not the 1996 version. We'll forget that one exists, although it's not terrible, but it's no Spencer Tracy. So from 1960, according to IMDb, based on a real life case in 1925, two great lawyers argue the case for and against a science teacher accused of the crime of teaching evolution, which, believe it or not, in 1925 was actually a crime. Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a second. The film was directed by Stanley Kramer and the screenplay based on the play by, wait, really? Based on a play by Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee. I'm doubting it's the I, same Robert I, E. Lee. He was dead by then. <laughs> <laughs> and the screenplay was adapted by Nedrick Young and Harold Jacob Smith. The film stars hell of a cast. We have the indomitable Spencer Tracy as, as Henry Drummond, Frederick March as Matthew Harrison Brady, Gene Kelly as E.K. Hornbeck, and Dick York as Bertram T. Cates. We also have Donna Anderson, Harry Morgan, Claude Atkins, Elliot Reed, and a whole other swath of incredible actors that are just... It's, it's a stunning cast. It mm -hmm. truly is. And amazing performances from everyone. So... Just to give you a, a little bit of a foundation as to where this film and this play came from. Okay. It's based on the real life trial called the Scopes Trial. Uh, this was officially the state of Tennessee versus uh, v. John Thomas Scopes, or also known as the Scopes Monkey Trial. It was a legal case from 1925 in which a substitute teacher by the name of John T. Scopes was accused of violating Tennessee's Butler Act, which made it unlawful or illegal to teach human evolution in any state-funded school. Now, here's an interesting fact, and I didn't know this, but the trial was actually staged for the most part. I didn't know this. That's interesting. Mm. That I was very like, huh, this is interesting. It was staged to att attract attention to the small town of Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, Scopes himself said he wasn't sure if he had actually ever taught evolution, but he went along with it so that they'd have a defendant. He was fined $100, which was then waived. They, I guess, kind of realized that uh, there was... Uh, the sentence was repealed or whatever, mm. but I don't even know if they went back to repeal it. I think something just, you know, clerical error or whatever, based on what I was able to find. Um, and th basically, the idea was that they were going to attract tons of attention to this small town in Tennessee. And tons of national reporters flocked to their small little town to see the incredible celebrity lawyers that they had wrangled to okay. work for the prosecution and the defense who were three-time presidential candidate Williams, uh, William Jennings Bryan for the prosecution and the famed defense attorney, Clarence Darrow. 
and you, I, I, it's, I'm reading it and going, oh my God, I know that name. I don't remember exactly why. It's probably because of the Scopes trial, but he's one of those names that you hear and yeah, it's, I know that name. Yeah, people reference him. It's one of those, like it's a Gilmore Girl-esque it's a yeah, exactly where someone refers to a famous lawyer as, you know, they're like, oh, someone pulled a Clarence Darrow on you or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's one of those. Huh. So that's kind of a basic foundation of what this was. And it's sad because what we are finding today in Canada and in the States is a lot of pushback and a, a huge amount of challenge being levied against teaching evolution in schools and against discussing yeah. and even acknowledging climate change. Well, it, it seems so funny to me because I, I remember I remember watching this film in school. We watched it in history class and oh. it was it was excellent then. And I before we get into it, we have to point out the the dueling Jekylls. So one of the things that keeps this film kind of like a strange touchstone for horror fans is that Frederick Marsh was the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And then Spencer Tracy played him again in the uh, in the '40s remake. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to watch them go at each other because it is Doctor Jekyll versus Mister Hyde. So, um, yeah, Marsh's film was or Tracy's film was superior, but Frederick Marsh might be a better Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Marsh or March? Frederick March. 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 Anyway, there's lots of names, and we'll try and get them right. But I I remember having this issue discussed and. At least in the 90s, early 2000s in high school, you would hear about, this is, again, early internet, mm -hmm. So, but pre-social media. So you'd hear about people griping, evolution, and, you know, can't teach all this stuff. But that was very much an issue that was somewhere else. You know, we were in a, we were in a public school, you know, we weren't in the Catholic board. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't pray, we didn't do any of that stuff. I remember we had a... Uh, a a hard-edged uh, like church group or whatever in the school like a club i can't remember the name of it we went and disrupted a few meetings once <laughs> or twice because they he was running we it was me and i think it was brendan mertens we went in to to fuck with them and they had brought in someone to talk about aids and like all of their facts were wrong you know it was something like a hundred million people in in South America, South Africa have AIDS and the church is, is, is trying to stop all. And we're like, your population stats don't make sense. And they asked us to leave. <laughs> but we, uh, like, it's kind of funny that you guys are a religious group in search of answers, but you don't want information. But it was always something whoa, that was... Whoa, whoa, whoa. A religious group is in search of answers, but they don't want information? This is brand new information. Get out of town. Get out of town. But it was... In, in those pre-social media days when everyone, because now everyone can just gripe and they, they confuse their their right to express their opinion with the fact that they think because they have an opinion that needs to be listened to. And that's not true. It was, we went to class and you learned about, you learned about Darwin, you learned about evolution, and you learned about science. You learned about real life. Mm -hmm. You didn't learn about fantasies and foibles. And if anyone wanted to go to church... They did, and I knew people, and I went to church and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, or but, you went to like Catholic school yeah. or something. Yeah, and even friends that like, I, even people that went to Catholic school and stuff, like I, I know that they did that, but they still had science classes. Mm -hmm. You know, they they might have taught in, they had their religious studies class that they went to, mm -hmm. but they still had science classes. But we would you'd hear about on TV every now and then there'd be a news report of some state, because it was always at the state level. 
mm-hmm. or the municipal level, somewhere in the states, there'd be a, a raucous cry of so and so in you know Pagupa County somewhere, and that's not that's unfortunately generally where it is is trying to have uh, stamps put in the front of their textbooks saying that the theory of evolution is just a theory or whatever. Mm. You know, you, you'd hear Penn and Teller did a bunch of episodes of bullshit about it. And it's, it, it's funny because it all comes down to two, at least for me, the, the hilarity of something like the Scopes trial mm-hmm. is it comes down to two things that the average, the public doesn't understand about the theory of evolution. One, what the word theory means in scientific context. Is not the same as what it means in ordinary English layman language. No. If I was to say, I have a theory about how we can get pizza, I'm (laughs) I'm going to present an argument, and if it didn't involve elves and magic sleighs, and that theory got us pizza, that would become the scientific theory of how Bob gets pizza. Because it's it's hypothesized, tested, and confirmed. Right? That's what a theory is in scientific circles. It means someone has presented an idea or hypothesis. Yeah. Tested it. Proven it. It's been, you know, folks have come in and checked their math. And it now becomes an official theory. And the thing, too, is when you think about it, in science, nothing is stated as... Things are stated as facts. But the thing is, is that facts change or more specifically facts expand. Yes. The more we learn, the more things, as it were, precisely well done. The more we learn and the more we explore, the more we develop the science, our scientific method around various different things, the more that information is refined and more details are made clear. When you look at someone like Copernicus, look at Galileo, Look at the the idea of the heavenly spheres, right? And the way we used to think about the world. And before yeah. there were the heavenly spheres, the earth was considered to be flat. At one point, you could have considered that technically a scientific theory. Yeah. But as the scientific theory expanded, as they learned more about the universe and discovered more about the world, it became evident that that wasn't the case. Yeah. And then the theory expanded. And then the, the, you know, and at that point, the Earth was the center of the universe. We have since learned that that's not the case. And we have learned that we are not the only, that we are actually a galaxy within the universe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The more we learn, the more we know, the more theories expand. But there seems to be this strange misconception that while we learn more, that means that we can conceivably learn backwards. That well, even though we've yeah. disproven these things scientifically time time again. over centuries, yeah. that we can somehow learn in reverse. That just because we've learned that the Earth is round doesn't mean that it can't still, you know, maybe be possible that the Earth is flat. Yes, it does. We've been to space. We have proof. We've seen pictures. Yeah. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's like I was saying about the the confusion about the word theory. And the the film Inherit the Wind gets into this very well because the the big the big argument is I didn't come from no monkey. Yeah. That that's the argument. That's and the devolution. Monkey, yeah, the Scopes Don't monkey trial. The, the whole idea of the monkey trial in itself. And I find at least with evolution, when that argument's brought up with people that are willfully not listening, because mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's 2018. You are willfully you're willfully ignoring facts. It's a theory in science is a proven fact Mm -hmm. it is that that's the nomenclature for it and two we did not evolve from monkeys we descended from a common ancestor and that's it seems so fucking funny that i have to say this yeah 
Like it's. Like wait I'm a minute! Not, wait a minute! You mean that chimpanzee that was in that film? He ain't my distant cousin. He is your distant cousin in the exact same way that a sponge is your distant cousin, that a kangaroo, that the tree, that that a leaf, that an acorn is your distant cousin. I love that you bring up the sponge, I, I, especially with because there's this beautiful. If you've never seen Inherit the Wind the fuck are you doing with your life go watch inherit well, the no, it's, it's no no, no. i say that in jest people have been born since 1962 i say that in jest yeah on a 19 yeah no i i completely say that in jest but do go and watch it because it's an important film but there's this beautiful moment where spencer tracy's character the clarence darrow character essentially has had his hands completely tied he's been mm-hmm. made in, in he's been not he is not allowed to admit his own witnesses to the case yeah because science has no bearing on a trial about about evolution evolution. so he has to use other ways and he comes up with this argument about you know do are the creatures able to think the creatures of the world the various different things are they entitled to that as well is that a god-given use the bible to show how silly the yes and proved that a sponge must therefore have the ability to think because god gave made it so and if god made it so then it is something that is given by the bible and allowed to happen therefore ergo the scopes equivalent in the film who was darren from bewitched is equally as entitled as a sponge to have free thought. If a sponge may have free thought, so may he. But it's blasphemous, and I'm not descendant from a monkey, and that's different. And all the other mumbo-jumbo. So I, de- I really appreciate the inclusion yeah. of sponge. Because it, what, what it comes down to to fix these things, because to me, and I'm sure to you, Ariel, and to most sensible people we knew growing up, th- these weren't arguments that anyone had. Mm-mm. You know, they were they were things, you know, and it's I'm 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 a writer. I'm not any kind of expert. I think Joe Rogan said it best when he's talked about this stuff in his stand up when he brings up the fact he's like, look, I'm not an expert. I listen to what smart people put in books, Hmm. read it and then repeat it (laughs) because that's how we get smarter. (laughs) But it's I, I never remember there was any debate. Mm-hmm. There was never argument about this shit when we were kids. You know, I, I'm sure somebody sitting somewhere in a kitchen was being a bonehead and arguing oh, yeah. about it. But the beauty of the pre-social media days is that it was all contained. We had spent years as a society, as soon as the, the Renaissance happened and we started to emerge from the Dark Ages. We've had the, we had this wonderful, slow, upward crawl towards reason where yes there were plenty of boneheads Mm. and plenty of still dumb dumb misinformation going along but we had spent hundreds of years as a species slowly pushing that stuff out of the streets push the dookie yeah push the dookie out of the streets (laughs) and back into people's homes where if they want to be dumb in their house they're totally allowed to do Mm -hmm. that practice whatever foolishness you want at home but when you came out in public you couldn't talk like that mm. because you would be told you're a dummy. Well, the, yes and no. It's important to keep in mind that while this stuff was That's contained... That's geographical as well. It's geographical. It's socioeconomical. It's mm-hmm. sociological. There's there, there are a million different factors that contribute to the thought processes of various different communities mm. uh, by gender, race, class, you name it. But 
well, you mentioned you are correct in saying that it was more contained because not everybody had the democratized soapbox that is social media. Yeah. However, it was also more contained in government. And this this trial is evidence of that. Now, granted, this was a trial in 1925. And I think that is what the really important thing comes down to is the idea that in 2018 and 2018, we are still having to fight government from trying to make these things illegal all over again that we are having the idea the the freedom of science to further humanity to better humanity mm -hmm. not americans not canadians humanity is being called into question right and it it comes down to like you say like you said if you wanted to be an idiot you could be an idiot in your own home and in this trial and in this film we're being shown to an extent just how desperately problematic that was and why that's not a place to go again because ultimately and this is kind of what we're discussing for the most part today is the children won't somebody please think, think of, of the, the children. children you know it's it, it may be we may all be allowed to be idiots in our own home we can believe that the we can be fundamentalist christians if we want to or fundamentalist islamists or fundamentalist jews or you name it and believe the Bible or the Quran or what have you, or the Torah, etc., as, you know, gospel. That that is literally what happened. Yeah. Or any level of, of, you know, variation in between from agnosticism and atheism all the way to that. But we have to think about what we're doing for our children. And in making things like evolution illegal, in making discussion of climate change illegal, and all of the things that come with that, we inherently teach our children that it's okay to bury your head in the sand yep. that knowledge is to be feared that progress is to be feared change is bad and that it, that religion is the only option well it's it's teaching it, it's this generational shift that's happened where it's teaching people not just children but it's it, but it's going to wash down it's going to ragonomics all over the kids is it's teaching a whole generation of young people that your opinion derived from ignorance is just as value as as valuable as my facts derived from understanding. Yeah. And no, that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. And that's the road you go down when you start putting teachers on trial. When you start snitch lines because god forbid a teacher would try and speak to a young transgendered person and make them feel safe or make them feel like I don't understand what's happening to me. I need to turn to education to help me because that's what education's for. No shit. No, no way. That that would be foolish. But <laughs> that I think that's the central idea of something like Inherit the Wind is that you have people like Spencer Tracy and Gene Kelly's character and Scopes the the teacher. Mm -hmm. You you have these people that are that are rooted in facts. They're rooted in reality at mm -hmm. a time when reality wasn't pretty. Now, reality, the, the nuts and bolts of reality has never been pretty. And, yeah. you know, we have a history littered with people who were, you know, had their heads cut off or were burned alive for trying to tell the truth. You know, human beings have never been really good with immediate early truths. No. to things you know it's like there's resistance yeah, there's always resistance you know it's like it took 40 years or 30 years plus for rush to get any respect <laughs> we, we, we don't 
We yeah, don't... that's the same as believing that the world is round and not burning people at the stake hey, for teaching Rush otherwise. fans were maligned and put in corners because they thought Rush was cool. And now everyone else is finally caught up. You, you could draw a parallel. You could draw a parallel. <laughs> but I think it's, it, it's the facts remain is that we, we live in a society now where, where ignorance is celebrated. And ignorance has kind of always been celebrated because it's easier. It's safer. Because if mm-hmm. I've thought of something, then, oh, well, I've thought of it. I don't have to go and check it anywhere. It's my thought. And one, it's easier to digest. And two, I feel special because I've had my thought. Hmm. And I must be special because it's my thought. And that, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. This this whole thing kind of... Uh... The, the, the whole film kind of blows me away and the entire concept really baffles my mind because I, like you and like many people that we know, was, you know, I uh, was raised to believe that science has value, that facts ha- have value and that science and facts, that their value intrinsically lies in the betterment of, of humanity and the world mm-hmm. as a whole. It wasn't this kind of xenophobic idea of, you know, well, no, we have our way, and that's the only way. It was, no, 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 no. Science can teach more. Science can broaden horizons, can open the world, can bridge gaps and build and build bridges. Literally. But literally, it can build bridges. If you, had, if you don't have science, you have shitty bridges. They collapse. People die. It's a mess. Uh, where, would, where would the bridge over the River Kwai have been if we didn't have science? They Think blew, about it. They blew that up. I know. But using after science. they... Using science. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, I keep thinking about because this I was never raised in a very religious household. Right. And I think that's also important to come to for the two of us, because you were raised, I think, with a little bit more, not much, but a little bit more religion. Honey, you, you had, I, I think it's important to take into account is you come from such a more culturally religious, culturally religious background than yeah. I do. That you you were right. The, the fact that you your entire family are very identified as Jewish means you come from a religious. It might be yeah. more culturally Jewish well, than well, religiously exactly. Jewish, but it started out as a religion that became a culture. Well, exactly. So I wouldn't say I grew up in a religious household. No, we went to Sunday school and we went to church with my grandparents. Okay, and so it was just with it was mostly just with your grandparents. That's why we went. I got involved more with the church later on. Mm-hmm. But no, we were not a religious household. We were a household of, I would say, we were much more of a supernatural looking into shit household. Yeah. But no, it was a house where science, math, engineering, mm-hmm. physics, these things are real. Mm-hmm. And this is how the world works. Oh, yeah. And, no, that's not why I bring yeah. up the religion aspect, just in terms of ra- the raising of children and the teaching of children and the way we do those things, right? Because like for me, yes, I was raised, I was raised Jewish. I was born Jewish. Both of my parents are Jewish. Their parents are Jewish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now they've both remarried Irish Catholics. I am with a, with a non-Jew. Um, so it's kind of been the way of our family. But <laughs> Spread that gene pull around, guys. Well, yeah. But the other thing, growing up that was so important was science and it, it, in as many ways as it can be in that both of my parents are scientists my dad is a is a biochemical uh, um oh god not biochemical 
biochemist. He, he, he's a biochemist. He does research, though, and he heads up the Ontario Newborn Screening Program that does sc- screening for inborn diseases for all of the children in Ontario. My mom's a retired microbiologist who helped run infection control when SARS hit. Like, my step-parents even are in medicine and in science. We're all very scientific very scientifically rooted and even though I've become a writer instead of going the medical or scientific route it's kind of built into who I am that fact and proof begets reality exactly yeah and it 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 doesn't negate religion but instead what it does is give children the ability to make a decision for themselves. If I turned around and decided that I wanted to become an ultra-religious Jewish woman, I could. My family would support me. They wouldn't understand it, but they would support me. But I've been, in in being allowed to have both, you, are, you as a child are being given the opportunity to have free thought, to form an opinion around mm. all of the things that are given to you in order to lead the life that is best for you, your community, and the world at large, if you see fit to be a part of that larger world. Well, yeah. There's... But um, a great example of that in the film is when they're talking to, uh, when the um, Spencer Tracy's character is talking to the young boy on the stand who was in... Uh, and it was Bert Cates, who's the Scopes equivalent, when he was in his class. And he's asking him questions, you know, what did you, what were you taught? And the prosecution is trying to get out of him that he was taught basically blasphemous things. Whereas yeah. Tracy's character kind of comes back and, do you still go to church? Are you sinning more? Do you not respect and love your parents? Do yeah. you not follow Have the word of the Bible? before breakfast? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like, and he, and he starts to kind of get confused a little because he doesn't understand why the things are correlated because he's old enough to be able to know. Yeah. And you can see the, the, the effect of imprinting both the, you know, there's nothing wrong with religion so long as it doesn't really become an ism because isms are a bad thing. Bueller told us that. <laughs> so. And if, and if a narcissistic psychopath told us something, it must be true. <laughs> so gospel of, gospel of Bueller needs to be put to bed. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, but alas, it's, uh, no, the whole thing is really fascinating to me and it's, and it holds a very special place in my heart too, because this is my father's favorite film. Well, when you're, you're talking about the decision-making process and the, the film really grasps uh, how this works and it presents the two sides of that argument very very well because i think one of the one of the earliest things you can you try and teach somebody and one of the most important things to teach somebody is as soon as you stop being told or you know like people say you know it must be so hard to have a baby and people with young children will say no it was great when they were a baby why because i could just pick it up and do stuff yeah if i wanted its shoes on i put its fucking shoes on mm-hmm. if i wanted to sit in that thing it might have cried but it sat in that thing yeah. you know babies were great but one of those things you try and teach and you see parents teaching young people is how to make a decision yes because that's the thing that separates us from the animals and from different forms of life is our ability to make non-instinctual based decisions now there we have instinctual decisions the desire to mate is imprinted upon us but we also have to learn as a functioning society how to make decisions that's what separates us from rapist swimmers (laughs) is the ability to make a functional decision based on an instinct Mm. we know that fire's hot all of us learn the hard way 
about fire being hot. And that's okay. Yes, that's, that's okay. The... That that learning that the hard way is much better than being a dumpster rapist. Well, you, that's that... a different lesson that yeah. should have been taught in much that's why having snitch lines against Ontario's sex ed curriculum is a bad thing. Because yeah. when we teach consent to kids when they're in grade one or two, that you can't push me on the playground or touch my arm if I don't want you to, that transcends into the other things. Let's think big picture here, people. Well, when a when a priest can grope someone on national TV and no one's upset about it, maybe consent And they keep is, commenting on her dress. Maybe consent is something that really should be discussed. Mm-hmm. But when talking about the decision-making process, because you have you have Spencer Tracy, you have all those guys, their decision-making process is based on reason. It's based on understanding. It's based in the scientific method. Mm-hmm. It's in, in a simplified version of that. I take information in. I test it against X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And if it's true, that becomes something I move forward with. With the other side, the people that are against the teaching of evolution and all these things, it's because their decision-making process is rooted in religion. And rooted in the idea that an outside source is telling me exactly how to behave. Mm -hmm. And I will not question that behavior at all based on the knowledge that there will be violent repercussions. Mm -hmm. That's not a decision-making process. That's a dangerous way to live your life because you're not actually making a decision. You are operating and acting in the absence of decision. And that's what something like Inherit the Wind is about because I've had arguments with people like that when he's on, uh, when he gets the, uh, when he gets March on the, on the stand and uses the Bible to shut his ass down. Yeah. I remember when I'd finished high school and I came back to work on, uh, the, the play, uh, the senior play that happened that year. So it was mm-hmm. my year off. So I'd, Dawson was in it and a bunch of people that I still knew in high school were in it. So I'd come and I'd chill out you know, and while they were doing sets and everything. And there were a a couple of friends of mine, a couple of girls, and they were in, they were quite religious, but super nice people. And I was kind of at that very confrontational part of my life where I was like, find me a religious person. I'll fucking go. Oh yeah. That's kind of back when I, I thought, I thought to be interesting, I had to be a bit of a rabid dog on subjects. So my friends used to kind of like pointing me at something. And I thought it was my job to, to do that. I've since learned how to temper that. (laughs) but I remember having a conversation talking about heaven. I said, so hypothetically heaven's real. Yes. And these were born again. So a different level. So I said, if you, no matter what you've done, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, you go to heaven. Yes. I'm like, so that, that's the, that's the, the floor we're operating on. Yeah. So you're telling me that Adolf Hitler is a Christian is in heaven, but Mahatma Gandhi is in your hell. Because he didn't accept Jesus into his life. And they both, and they kind of stopped and grudgingly said yes. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, guys, you're sensible women. Come on. Actually, like, well, yeah. I'm like, dude. And I just kind of threw up my hands. I'm like, if this is, this is the divide that we're operating on. Now, born again, are, born again Christians are kind of different than different other denominations of Christianity. But that's that's the reality that you're mm-hmm. coming from. Because if you can make that leap. Mm-hmm. Now, Mahatma Gandhi is not without sin. He was a vicious racist in his early life. And as much as he liked to pretend that he was celibate, man wasn't. Yeah, I'm talking some dirt about Mahatma Gandhi. Do your research. Don't read the memes. <laughs> so Get beyond the quotes. Yeah, but that's that's how you then make leaps to the fact that 
evolution, you don't just think evolution's wrong, you think it's evil. And the people that teach it deserve to be prosecuted and deserve to be punished. And I think anybody that has a problem with this should just watch the scope, should just watch Inherit the Wind. Yeah. Because they break it down <clears throat> perfectly. And they don't snark down. And now Gene Kelly snarks down on everybody, but even the, the rationalists put Gene Kelly in his place. Well, that's the thing with Gene Kelly. His character, Holbrook, is is the ultimate cynic. He's the ultimate hipster now. He's not a hipster. He's but, a cynic. But he's but Gene Kelly's character represents the ultimate, I'm above everything person of today. It's the I know. I don't get involved on these sides. I know better, and I'm in the middle, and I'm casting judgment on everybody because so I know better. In, so in some ways, was kind of like you or when you when you would bulldog. That I know um, better, I yeah. don't need you to... Yeah. You, could, you could say that. It's it's this idea, and it, the thing is, and this is important to keep in mind, at least then, if not also now, that person wins no favors. That person nope. is not popular. That person is not the one that you want to be around. And nope. therefore, and I, I hate the term hipster because I think it's become a blanket term for a lot of things. I would never categorize Holbrook as a, as a hipster. Well, sorry, he is just as righteous... Or just as self-righteous as the religious people, but for his own beliefs. He reminds me and a lot he, of he's, the... Yes, he's of, just as indignant about the about the, 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 the lack of faith as they are about the presence of faith. Yeah, it's, it reminds me a lot of the, uh, of the kind of the militant atheists and stuff he, that's happening. He reminds me a exactly. lot of uh, Richard Dawkins and, and that set where... It's it's not whereas you have Spencer Tracy's character looking to understand because he was friends with this man. Mm -hmm. He was friends with March for years trying to understand what happened. Where did this where did his faith go wrong on him? Where did his beliefs go wrong? Where did his beliefs cloud his reason and yes, his logic? Because he used to be a logical and reasonable man. And now but he's then just you, a tyrant. Yeah. But then you have Gene Kelly's character who is very much part of that that Dawkins set of just you're a fucking idiot. Well, it's the equal level of extremism yeah. as the as the born again uh, young women from your high school, where no, 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 here's a line. Yeah. If so, with Adolf and and Gandhi, yeah. So that that would still apply for Holbrook. The same is true in the opposite direction. If you're a man of faith, you are not a man of reason, and never the twain shall meet. And that is simply not correct. And we see yeah. that as we get to the end and we learn that. Because the reason that, is trying to take away, you're trying to take away my faith. Well, and this is yeah. the thing. And we learn that with Spencer Tracy by the end of the film, that he knows the Bible. He knows the Bible because he's learned it and because he follows it to some extent. Mm -hmm. But he's not, there's a brilliant scene and I'm not, I can't quite remember exactly what he says but it he it's about whether something is right or not or wrong and he says that he's not fighting for what's right he's fighting for what's true yeah or something to that effect yeah. i'm paraphrasing not, so yes, bear with but you, me you are correct it's not a matter of fighting for what's right because right is an opinion exactly truth is, is a reality fact. you know the truth is it you can't hurt people why because it hurts that's the truth. Yeah. It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not right to hurt someone because the truth is it hurts. Yes. That's the that's the second part to yeah. that equation. And it and it's we get that from, you know, we have 
the two extremes. We have the religious extreme and we have the atheistic extreme. We have Holbrook and we have uh, we have March. And I hate referring to them as mixing the, the actors and the characters' names, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and then we have Tracy, who is the who is logic and reason mm. in the middle of it all, and who represents ultimately what we need to do. And and if you're looking at, and this is it's bringing me kind of to an interesting point, which may be a good place to shift over. But I I think about what you and I, Bob, spoke about when we were done the film. And I said, what did I, I'll even find exactly what I wrote. The difference between the left and the right is that the right thinks their way is the only way, whereas the left believes every person has the right to choose for themselves and to receive an education that adequately equips them to do so. Uh, but, the truth, but the truth of the right is that facts make them fools. To allow free speech, free thought, uh, universal equality and universal education puts belief at risk of being made obsolete, and of that they're afraid. And after I'd read... Did I say that? No, I said that. Oh, good. And after I read you that initial part about the left versus the right, you were saying, no, we can't have, we can't break it down to the left and the right. Yeah, we have I, to. And, and, and at first I was like, okay. No, I, I just, just to, just to paraphrase that. And the reason I said something like that, especially when we're dealing with charged films, like Inherit the Wind and To Kill a Mockingbird, films that are still charged 50 years later, 60 years later, is we, we live in a world right now where there is so much division Mm -hmm. And it has, we've really broken it down to the left or the right. Mm -hmm. That's what we've come down to. It used to be liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, um, Whig party versus Tea Party, whoever. Yeah. It's, there used to be a much more of a gradient, you know, there, there's no such thing as moderates anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you, I, well, Christ, liberals were moderates. When I was a kid, you had the conservatives on the one end of the spectrum, the NDP on the other end of the spectrum, and the liberals sat nicely in the middle. They leaned a little more towards the NDP, but they sat nicely in the middle. Mm -hmm. They wanted to help everyone, but they wanted to do it reasonably. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about... And you now know, the NDP and the liberals seem to have kind of flip-flopped a little bit. Well, it, it, we everything's so galvanized now because of the internet. We have such a... Everyone is so fucking lit up all the time now, and... We take it all at face value because we there was no education system brought in to help us process the internet mm -hmm. where we've had, you know, a thousand plus years of printed media to learn how to understand printed media. Mm -hmm. And we've had a hundred plus years of television to learn how to understand <clears throat> television. Mm -hmm. There was, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson said, we, we had no education uh, set up to help us understand the internet. So it's overwhelmed us as, mm -hmm. a, as a species. But I, I was initially concerned because I... I it is a problem that we've we've split down the lines because mm -hmm. as soon as you start to split people into camps, that's when well we have a history to look at of how that where that goes and it never goes anywhere well. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time we can't be afraid to talk about the fact that this is happening, and if you if your camp contains alt writers. Mm -hmm. Your camp is wrong. Yeah. It well, doesn't matter if you think that, oh, well, they're only there's only two of them. It doesn't matter. Two is two, two men. Yeah. And in the same, there's there's problematic stuff going on on the on the the left, quote unquote. Well, yeah. But for for convenience sake and easiness sake, we will say left and right. Well, yes. And Rambly Dan. What we wound up discussing and what I wound up saying to you, which is important to keep in mind in this discussion of division is that the reason ultimately 
that there is division. Because when you get in terms of personal preferences and, you know, I'm a liberal or I'm a, a, a conservative or however the case may be, that love, the extremism tends to lie there more than anywhere else on a yeah. personal playing field. When it comes down to the parties, for the most part, and the ideologies at their base roots, what they've become largely is that the division is necessitated by the existence of the right. That the right very much believes that their way is the only way. That there are no other options and that all must adhere to these. Mm -hmm. Whether it's in terms of religion or science or evolution or development or progress or racial equality or gendered equality or what have you. They're, the stance of the right has proven time and time again to be divisive. Because they are not open to, they're open to one way. The left exists because, because of the right and because they want, the left wants everyone to have the ability to choose and decide for themselves. The left wants to provide everyone with the resources they need to grow and develop and learn, to become critical thinking, intelligent, intellectual, educated and engaged members of the world, of society at large. And that every single one of those members, it's also important to say, is just as valid and equal as the other. A exactly. person is a person is a person. Exactly. And I that's... That's what you see in something like Inherit the Wind mm -hmm. with the Scopes Trials, that no, you're, you disagree with me, and I've managed to make my idea law, and so you're wrong. Well, exactly. You, the... are, you are less of a person. Well, exactly. And it's the, what was it, the Deacons? The Butler Act. Yeah. The Butler Act itself, which made it unlawful to teach evolution in school, that's a right thought. That's a conservative thought. That's a conservative agenda. That's the type of thing that necessitates the existence of the left because that tries to limit progress, development, open, opening minds, mm -hmm. opening eyes, and, and creating a more universal world, a more, a more engaged and collaborative planet on which to exist and, and coexist. And... All the left wants to do is to get, get rid of that, make these you things. Right. No, what I'm saying is all the left wants to do is to get rid of these laws that inhibit that, is to make it so that everyone can have what they need. So by virtue of the limitations imposed on society by a right, it necessitates the existence of a left. Unfortunately, yeah, we do have people who take things too extreme, but we see that in... in we see that in religion all the time, and now we're seeing that progressively more in atheism, where atheism was kind of just this sinful way to be in the, you know, way back when and in the 1920s and everything. And mm. it was it was a it, it was like being called, you know, a Jezebel or something. It was it was it was bad, but it didn't necessarily mean that you were a bad person. But yeah. we are starting to see the same level of extremism and fanaticism from atheists today that we are seeing from religious extremists. And I mean, you know, the Christians that are bombing mosques and that are burning down churches with black families inside and opening fire when they see fit. That Those are religious extremists. They're all white, but they're religious extremists. And they're equally as dangerous as one another because ultimately it comes down to that with intolerance, with... 
a, a fear of science and progress with an unwillingness to allow it to be discussed and the censorship of the media through that, we create fear around it and essentially make it okay to hurt other people for believing in those things or for or for finding the fact in it rather mm -hmm. not because it's not a it's you know, chris rock saying in dogma you know belief is a dangerous thing wars have been waged for belief now an idea yeah, that's an idea something can change exactly yeah and it's important to have ideas and in inherit the wind we can see how dangerous it is when you place your entire mental well-being and the foundation of your self and personhood within one belief and fail to adapt like an idea. We can see the ramifications of that. And it's pretty ugly. Yeah, and it's those ramifications are still are still continuing today. Mm -hmm. But I think that gives us a good segue point into something else that's still continuing today. <sighs> 1962's To Kill a Mockingbird. Ariel. Let's see how a literary classic can be reduced to a dumb, dumb paragraph. <laughs> so according to IMDb, To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962, Atticus Finch, a lawyer in the Depression-era South, defends a black man against an undeserved rape charge and his children against prejudice. Huh. That's pretty good, well, actually. That, that sums it up. That sums it up quite nicely. Well. So the film was directed by Robert Mulligan. And boy, oh boy, did he not need a mulligan. Ayo. <laughs> it Reverse, is you, you owe the world a rim shot now you get you get a rim shot taken away from you no, one deduction no minus one rim shot i'm in debt of rim shot uh the it is based of course on the book by harper lee and the screenplay was adapted by horton foot <laughs> hey man we can't choose our last names well we can if we decide to change them the film stars again the incredible incomparable indomitable gregory peck I'll come back there and hit you with my ring hand. <laughs> <laughs> we also have... Um, oy, they've got them all listed kind of funny, so I can't find the children. Mary Badham, who played Scout, mm -hmm. uh, who was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Academy Awards that year. She huh. was 10, and at that point held the record for the youngest person to ever be nominated for that Oscar. So, 1962. Uh, well, I guess 63, 62, around then. Uh, Philip Alford, who played Jem. And then we also have John Megna, who played Dill Harris. Old Bucktooth. <laughs> Old Bucktooth, big-eared goon, who's just the cutest little thing. We also have Frank Overton, Rosemary Murphy, Ruth White, uh, Brock Peters as Tom Robinson, who would later go on to play... Cisco's dad! <laughs> on DS9. Yes! The incredible and compassionate Estelle Evans as Calpurnia. Uh, Colin Wilcox Payton as Mayella Violet Ewell. Uh, and James Anderson as Bob Ewell. Hell of a, of and a cast. And also it's important. A, to... very, a very important character. Says no words. Very comes abbreviated up at the end. in the film compared to his presence in the book. Different. Yeah, it's as best, it's Yeah, it's abbreviated. But it's done well, I think. Robert Duvall. In, if as, I'm not mistaken, his very first role. If not his first, one of his earliest. Yeah. If def, I think for sure his first credited role. Yeah. As in that that one moment of him standing behind the door, young David Lynch went, "I know what I'm doing with my career." <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god, I forgot how much that scared me. It's a fucking weird it's shot. It's a creepy shot. Yeah. I want to go back now and double check if you can see him there throughout the whole scene or if the door is, if it's the angle's wrong. Because as soon as Scout goes, well, he's ask still him. here. He's right there. Just ask him. Ah! It's Boo Radley. Chalk face goon. Arthur Radley, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. is it Robert Duvall as Boo Radley? Yes. And would, that would have been fun if, uh, <laughs> if he. <laughs> I'm laughing at my own joke before I even said it. If Francis Ford Coppola, it turned out, was actually a huge closet to kill a Mockingbird fan, and instead of Robert Duvall playing Robert Duvall's character in The Godfather, it was Boo Radley as the family consigliere. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there would he would have uh, he would have made a better wartime consigliere because he would have uh, advocated more rib stabbing. He would have, yes, but he also would have been far less communicative and probably made some really rash decisions that involved hiding. Hey, Dad, what do you got there? Robin, Boo made me a wooden statue I couldn't refuse. It was a soap statue. <laughs> Your mama. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But To Kill a Mockingbird, probably the best book that they forced us to read in high school. Well, it's a pretty, it's it's quite important. So again, the novel written by Harper Lee, the only book she had ever written until a few years ago i want to say 2015 the new book she was to set a lantern or a watchtower or whatever it's called to set a watchman yeah if i'm not mistaken something, something to, that, to effect. that effect that's a trunk novel she yes. actually wrote she had that written a it a long, long time, time ago, ago but it was published in yeah. the 2010s if i'm not mistaken i want to say it was 2015 Recent. it's recently i'm pretty sure it was 20 four, i'd say last four years yeah, yeah. i'm 90 percent sure it was 24 2015 but um, it wasn't as well received, um, but she was, this was a very personal novel for her. Um, it went on to win the Pulitzer Prize after being published in 1960. Um, this is obviously To Kill a Mockingbird again. Uh, it was loosely based on her own family and experiences growing up in Monroeville, Alabama in 1936. When Monroeville! She was 10. Uh, it was wow. told from the perspective of Jean Louise Finch. It was Scout. So very similar, not too many changes. And she had actually uh, been pretty resistant to have this adapted in any way, shape, or form. People had suggested, like, pitched doing plays. People had suggested musical adaptations. And there was always a weird way that they would change Did you rape her? I did not rape her! I can't even imagine. (laughs) It would be awful. I can't imagine this film existing in any other way than it does because it's a near-perfect film. For its time. Well, I can't imagine it. Ex- it, it comes at such a, a strange moment in cinema. And it's something that you can actually see in, um, in Inherit the Wind. Mm-hmm. Is you have a very classical subject matter directed in a very modern way. Yes. Um, for the time especially. Inherit the Wind is an incredibly modern looking film for the type of film that it is. You mm-hmm. saw confront- it as a very confrontational directing style. That you that you were seeing at that time, but it was in much more low budget films. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a lot of the the confrontational style in something like Shock Corridor. Don't watch that trailer at work. <laughs> um, very very interesting film. But you see that in something like To Kill a Mockingbird, where you have this very modern opening credits. Mm-hmm. Like that opening credits has been ripped in a fucking million films in wait which where the opening credit sequence for to kill, to kill a mockingbird, mockingbird. For, okay yes. not inherit the wind no, we're okay. talking about to kill a mockingbird now and which, but yeah that is for the time but at it's it's at it's made in a moment where politically you can start 
saying a lot more and doing a lot more and being much more forward in a mainstream studio film. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's directed after the credits in a very classical way that makes you makes the audience still feel very safe. It makes it's it's got us. There's a sentimentality in its direction that was imperative to communicate the difficult subject matter to a young audience. And that yeah. was ultimately And the to maintain goal. the spirit of the book. Exactly. So they, yeah, well, which and is that's such one, a brutal line to walk. Exactly. And one thing that Harper Lee said of the film, and I quote, that film was a work of art. She was yeah. so happy with the way it was made. So much so that after um, a few days, I think she was on set for all of about three or four days at the beginning just to oversee things and to be there in case they needed to, to ask her anything or she needed to have any input to make sure they were doing the right thing. After about three or four days, she went home. She was like, he's got this. It's, yeah. in, it's in the perfect hands yeah. to take care of this. I am not concerned. And she left. But um, yeah, no, it, it's an incredible, incredible film. Well, trying to do a, a quote unquote message movie is so difficult, especially if your message movie is also being drawn from a book, let alone a classic like To Kill a Mockingbird. That brings its own stress. But a, an excellent movie with a, with a hard political message, you're walking such a razor. Mm -hmm. Because on one side, you end up going so soft because you don't want to offend people with your message that you end up not accomplishing anything. Or you end up going so hard and confrontational that you alienate people from the message you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And you just turn into an attack film. You know, I think something like Moonlight walks the same razor as something like To Kill a Mockingbird, where it it is confrontational, but it's making you confront yourself by what you're seeing. Yeah, It's not dragging you through the mud if you've ever thought this way or felt this way. Mm -hmm. And that's what To Kill a Mockingbird and, and Moonlight, they do so well, is that because it's got, you could say, it's not schmaltzy, but it has such a level of sentimentality and you have such a presence in... Gregory Peck's uh, rational Atticus mm -hmm. is that you feel like the film is talking to you and it knows you're about to go through something very difficult and you feel like you're sitting on the swing and Gregory Peck's got his arm around you and he's yeah. going to explain all this to you yeah. and you're going to feel bad, but it's okay to feel bad because that's how you start feeling better. Exactly. So that's what the film does. It's make me cry. It's well, it's so that's what it does, and it's so fucking impossible to do it. And it's incredible watching it because that's the thing. And you say, you know, it's going to make me cry just talking about this. Watching the film is so is a sad process. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a sad film, full of heartbreaking information, heartbreaking messages, heartbreaking realizations. But the film itself manages what so few do, that it can not only does it communicate a message with the, you know, with the delicate touch that it needs to, it exudes that very emotion mm -hmm. by virtue of the orchestration of its parts. And it does it in such a way that you're watching this and you're seeing, you know, scout he's sad saying well we can't read any we can't read anymore the way we used to okay well no but scout you know what a compromise is and teaching her and and saying those things and it also kind of makes you yearn for and remember those lessons that you had when you were a kid when your parents had to teach you about those things and you watch his patience 
and his calm and his understanding and and maybe that makes you miss that aspect of your parents when you were young maybe it makes you wish you'd had that if you didn't but there's a lot of weight in in the adaptation there's a lot of weight in the source material and there is so much weight and bravo and and just an incredible performance i don't even want to say bravado because i'm going to use that again in a minute in a different way in gregory peck's performance well what he's doing just to just an addendum to that thought is he's explaining to scout what the whole movie's about Mm -hmm. and he's explaining to her a few different things one he's explaining that the world is not black and white you she is coming at this from a very i can do something or i can't do something so it must be this it's great kid logic Mm -hmm. you know the same logic that allows them to hide behind picket fences and think you can't be seen (laughs) you know very widely dispersed picket fence slats it's that kind of kid logic but it's also explaining to her that the world isn't fair or perfect yeah it's not perfect and you have to compromise on things now he's bringing her into this by making a very soft you know kind of tricky parent compromise yeah it's the kind of compromise that without telling the child no you're being foolish of course we can keep reading she you're teaching her a lesson by by giving her something she already had yes but it's it's that first step in teaching Mm -hmm. reasonable decision making and reasonable understanding of things Mm -hmm. and that that's how you build an adult you know it's uh his his personal problems notwithstanding it's like what louis ck said we're not raising children we're raising the adults they're going to be so don't make them assholes so that's that's what he's doing in that scene is he's laying the foundation to keep the next generation from being the people in the courtroom screaming from being the people that show up to try and lynch Cisco's dad. And it's it's small little steps mm-hmm. that prevent those people from happening. Well, he's also he's trying to prevent something that is a huge problem that this film deals with is the idea of both generational poverty and generational bigotry. And you see also that also generational ignorance. I think there's I think is Yes, yes. Poverty can cause you 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 lack education. So you you grow up with a level of ignorance, and I don't mean ignorance as in a you're ignorant. I mean in the in the scientific sterile term, it's yes. a lacking knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and which I've, can then lead to bigotry and racism and fear. They tend, which that honestly, unfortunately, tend to go hand in hand. Yeah. But we see that in Mayella. It's it's interesting because with all the children that we see throughout the entire film, because that's what this is about. More than anything. To Kill a Mockingbird is it's it's about a loss of innocence. It's about growing up. It's about learning hard life lessons. But we're watching what happens depending on how you raise your children. Mm-hmm. And with Atticus and how he's raising Jem and Scout, we're seeing the best of all possible worlds. We're seeing a man who doesn't pigeonhole his daughter into gender norms of being a woman. Uh, she has to wear a dress to school because there are certain rules, but otherwise yeah. she's allowed to dress however she wants. She's allowed to behave however she wants. She's allowed to be whoever she wants so long as she doesn't hurt anybody. They're taught how not to fight. They're taught to to keep up with their studies. They're taught to be respectful to people as an entire entity. And they're taught to understand 
the societally in place differences between class and race, mm. not from a stance of fear, oppression, and bigotry, but from the vantage point of understanding, compassion, and unity. And that is really wonderful. Then we have some a character like Boo Radley, who is what happens when we are overprotective of our children, when we lock them away from the world because we're afraid of what the world may do to them or what they may do to it. And instead of taking them by the hand and teaching them, we, we, we quash them. Well, that's that the story of Boo Radley and locking away the mentally ill is, is incredibly true. Dad's told me stories of when he was a kid, they'd have a neighbor that, that had a child that was, that was physically or mentally disabled Mm -hmm. and they didn't leave the house. No. Because if you couldn't afford an institution, mm-hmm. you they generally they would you come outside at night, and they could go outside in the backyard or play or whatever. But it was mm-hmm. always done at night because you kept these things locked away. And so. you see very much the benefit of Atticus's way of teaching children with the way Scout treats Boo at the very end of the film, and holding his hand and walking with him, and and there's nothing to be afraid of just because you don't understand doesn't mean you have to be afraid Mm -hmm. and that's such an important lesson to teach children then we also see dill we see what happens when children are dill no dill his name is dill it's dill it's not dell the way they pronounce it when they have their accent dill sounds like dale but it's dill it's dill um just like it's gem and not jim the kid reminds me of deacon from the tale house completely yeah hundred percent it's one of bob's scripts but uh with Dill, we see what happens when a child is basically left to be raised by someone else and that there's kind of this disparity because he's talking about how he doesn't have a father and he's never had a father. But then he he goes on to tell stories of his father and a story, the stories change every time. And the stories of his mom are kind of inconsistent as well, but it seems like she's either struggling to keep the family afloat and doing the best she can, or is just an absentee mother who doesn't want to be involved. Well, it's it was, kind of, it's yeah. left a little ambiguous. Well, because it was a little more common back then where you would... You Leave know, your child you, with a family member you, and go off and work. You, you'd farm them out for a while. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we see that circumstance and what happens with children when they're kind of raised by many people, mm-hmm. none of whom take the raising very seriously. You see, and, and you see with uh, the, uh, Walter Cunningham, what happens when you're raised with generational poverty and, and to an extent generational bigotry. Now that hasn't gotten to little Walter at that point. He's still too young, but you can see when he comes to dinner. And he puts syrup all over his roast. And it's, it's such a beautiful little learning, learning moment mm-hmm. of what it means to be patient and compassionate and non-judgmental. And, to, and when Atticus teaches Scout, you never really know a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. They have no idea when the last time is or when the next time will be that Walter will ever have the luxury and decadence of syrup. And not just that, to have as much as he wants. Like you see his eyes light up when he sees the container. And that he can have that. And he's talking about, oh, we ain't never had roast. Sometimes we got squirrel. Yeah. And he's talking about this. And and that comes down to another thing. We were talking about this and scouts when they come to the prison when Tom has just been transferred and the lynch mob shows up and Walter's dad, Mr. Cunningham, is there. Mr. Cunningham, Cunningham came at the beginning of the film and dropped something off and, 
you know, Atticus is teaching Scout about pride and about his pride and delicate that mm-hmm. it may be. So she knows Mr. Cunningham. She doesn't see him as a threat. She doesn't think of him as a, as a man who would have hate in his heart. No, nope. he's just the man that showed up and brought nuts to and, the house. And starts talking about entailment. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of going, what the hell's an entailment? And it turns out entailment, for anybody who might be wondering, was at the time uh, a law pertaining to land ownership and property that uh, made it that entailed land would be handed down to the, the eldest son uh, generationally, generation by generation, and it could not be mortgaged and it could not be sold. So it was paid in full. You owned it free and clear, but after the stock market crash, it meant that a lot of people whose land was entailed became completely destitute because they couldn't mortgage their land in order to either keep farming or just keep living yeah, there. You all of a sudden, the only thing that of, of any value in your life that you had equity in is gone. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't move because you can't afford to yeah. purchase another place. So you're stuck with this dead, dying, destitute uh, land. Yeah. You throw the dust bowl into that and then you're double fucked. Exactly. And yeah. that's what happened there. And so in this scene with the roast and everything, you know, Atticus is trying to teach Scout the importance of A, be thankful for what you have and B, don't judge people who have less, but help them. Do what you can to give them a bit of a bit off your plate. Give them, you know, shirts off your back. Help them out because they have less. And don't judge them for that. And these such important lessons. It really is. It's in, and, and Mayela, to get back around, to we see the different ways that children are mm-hmm. affected. Mayela is what happens. She's 19 years old in the book. So conceivably, she's about 19 years old here. And she is the product of generational bigotry and generational ignorance and generational poverty. And generational abuse. And generational abuse that comes with, and a lot of these things tend to, but don't always, go hand in hand. And what we've seen from her is with this generational bigotry, and she started to have feelings for Tom, which could have been a completely harmless thing in in a better world and in a better place and time. But because of what she was raised with, she was full of so much self loathing and fear and anger and confusion over the way she felt for this kind generous human being because of the color of his skin and because of that and the way that she was raised she was then beaten and raped by her father who makes flippant jokes about well if she ain't mine now can't do anything about it her mother's dead and she's raising all of her siblings and taking care of that and she's so afraid of the ramifications of admitting that she could have made an advance on a black man, that she is willing Mm -hmm. to throw him under the bus to save her rapist, incestuous father, Mm -hmm. who in and of himself is everything. He is the, he is everything that Atticus isn't. And I mean, you see that throughout the entire film, but you especially see that after Tom has been killed. And that scene just breaks my heart because he's they they talk about it in very specific language that for the time it's written in the way that it would have been talked about in the book and it's portrayed in the way that it would have been spoken of roughly in the in the early early 1960s but the understanding in 2018 is clear that they took him out they stopped the truck They told him to run and they shot him point blank and passed it off. 
as an escape as, attempt. As an escape attempt gone wrong. And it is just... It's devastating. Well, it's the fact that this book was written in the 60s. And we are still, still knee-deep in this issue. Um, we, we like to say we're better at it in Canada. Um, I can only point to stuff that's happening in the States. But you how you know how many months goes by before a cell phone video or a body cam video emerges of a police officer shooting an unarmed black man or beating the shit out of him unarmed um you know that's why everyone was so overwhelmed when the uh with the incel that uh ran his truck over everybody and was screaming in the street shoot me shoot me shoot me and the cop didn't Mm-hmm. you know because that's how you're supposed to do yeah, it that's not justice and you you see this time and time again it's you you have a gun violence problem more so in in the states and a problem with how policing is is spiritually handled in the states compared to canada but we're not any better not um, much you, no you if you at look all at, you look at the our, our i guess you could say our sin is how police handle uh, indigenous Canadians, especially out West. Um, how many stories are there of uh, police driving and... women and men, native Canadians out in the dead of winter mm-hmm. out into rural Saskatchewan and kicking them out of the car mm-hmm. and, and letting them, them freeze there. to death. Yeah. Instead and the of... amount of indigenous women that have been raped and murdered and yeah. gone missing and the police do nothing yeah. or are sometimes responsible. And you, you see, because watching watching the trial in To Kill a Mockingbird is so incredibly frustrating because it could not be any more obvious that that Tom didn't do this, mm-hmm. that he had nothing to do with this, that his story is true, that it, it is it's almost hilariously obvious that that's what happened. But you still obviously guilty plea came or guilty verdict came in. Obviously, it you still see that happening when it's so obvious that the that the abuses to to minorities are still going on mm-hmm. you know you see if you don't think it's happening go to the territories go to rural canada into any of the reserves that aren't casino funded and drink the water you know, I, I'm not one of those Trudeau bashers. Uh, I know that he has a hard job. Um, but I think if there was something that he hasn't followed through on that bugs me the most is is getting the drinking water situation sorted out on the reserves. Mm-hmm. We put those people there. And we have a long, ugly history with how we've treated uh, Native Canadians. And we're still not fixing it. No. And we're, we're talking a big game and we're making a lot of promises. Yeah. But the proof is in the pudding. It's but, all about yeah. actions and, and, you know, and it's easy. As I said earlier, we, you know, Canadians, we, we love to post stuff about what's going on in the United States and feel like we're above it. But for every cam footage or every cam video we post of a police officer shooting an, an unarmed black man and there's one is too many. To, to exist not to not yes to share. no i know the fact that those same people aren't sharing the information about what's happening in on the on the native reserves and especially in the territories 
if you want to see what none of it's really like, Google that shit. It's not what's on the photos that no. the press hands out. Yeah. The fact that we're not sharing that means we're culpable. Mm-hmm. And we're culpable in the way that the the people that show up to the lynch mob at the at the at the jail are culpable mm-hmm. in to kill a mockingbird. We're culpable in the way that people in the United States will support, still continue to support the NRA or help and want police officers to get the the lawyers that get those people off, the juries that don't convict them. We like to think in Canada because we grew up reading To Kill a Mockingbird, because mm-hmm. we watched Inherit the Wind in schools, that we're above this. We're somehow all above this. The fact that we let someone like Stephen Harper stay in power for as long as he did shows we're not above it. Uh, Ford is just the latest addition to, like, we're all so shocked that this happened. I'm like, yeah. no, we elected one already in the early 90s. His name was Mike Harris. <laughs> Federally, we had one for far longer than he should have ever been in power. And every time as a Canadian, you're taking, yes, we need to support people in other countries and do all this stuff. And I agree, I'm not one of those people that, you know, why are we helping other people when we're in trouble? I'm like, you're sharing a meme. You're not actually going out and doing anything. Mm-hmm. So don't feel too high horsey. The fact that we're not beyond bitching, sharing a fuck Trudeau meme, we're not actually doing anything to to help our minorities in this country. And what we're doing for Native Canadians is just as not doing for them is just as disgusting as how Tom was treated in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. So... The scary thing comes, too, from the idea that when it happens in the States, we seem to, it's kind of a monkey see, monkey do situation with Canada, that if certain laws get passed in the States, there are usually repercussions here. We're so close and we're so culturally similar that that does tend to happen. And we're seeing that happen now. Doug Ford is is Trump light and Trump limited because he's provincial. Thank God god but we we're seeing changes that way so when we hear about things like the potential that something like roe versus wade may be repealed and we have to take that seriously because again we didn't take trump seriously we didn't take ford seriously and they're both in power the most dangerous thing he could do is this new supreme court justice Mm -hmm. the fact that they tricked that guy into stepping down is man i hope he knows what his legacy is going to accomplish by stepping down from his supreme court seat during the trump administration Mm. is shocking to me but we see we see so much happening in the states and it makes us fearful for what could happen here. And yeah. the other thing is we engage with that material. Canadian media engages with that material very differently. And the majority of the states, when you think of the US and in terms of publicity and in terms of press and media and coverage, all of the US is kind of like one giant Hollywood. There's tons of coverage, there's tons of attention. Lots of people saying lots of things all very loudly. Canada doesn't, Canada doesn't present its information that way. We just don't engage with the media in the same way. It's not and a circus. No, no, exactly. Yeah. And I think we need to become a bit of a circus in order for people to be taking it a bit more seriously, to take yeah. the issues with the indigenous populations more seriously, and also to see it more. Because a lot of people just don't know. And you get these prejudices, these ideas that, well, all Native Canadians is just drunks. They're all just diabetic alcoholics who squander what we've given them and have nothing to show for it. And it's just not true. The way they live is our fault. 
And there is no other way to look at it than that. We gave them the circumstances they're currently living with. It's, it's willful, on us. It's the same with we were talking with Inherit the Wind. It's Ign- willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. And on all fronts, just to bring it back to To Kill a Mockingbird, is it's, it's willful ignorance. We're deciding to disregard facts. And everybody in their life at one point, one point or another has done that. Um, whether it's uh, you've told a little white lie, whether you've told a big old angry lie, or up into the levels that we're discussing here, it's willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that can stop willful ignorance is education. Because that's where you teach people that how to get this information. And you teach them that it is wrong to be willfully ignorant you need to, we can teach them that you you wouldn't even consider willfully now lying about did i eat that jello cup you know <laughs> did i leave my bike outside you know <coughs> did you really hit your sister you, education won't stop that that's just life but well it's different right it's the things because it's like with uh, March's character in Inherit the Wind and with a lot of what we see here with having to admit even either generational culpability, cultural culpability or racial culpability I mean white, white folks here when I say that, mm-hmm. just FYI there's it's scary trying to say we as Canadians are responsible for what is happening and what has happened in the current state of, of affairs for indigenous peoples. That's a lot of, that's a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. It's big, it's ugly, it's scary, it's sad. And it, impl- it involves a great deal of introspection. And that's scary. And most people, especially when they're children, are, we're taught and we grow up believing that Fear is bad and that fear needs to be squashed. Yeah. So when we are afraid, when we're uncomfortable, when we're angry, when we're sad, when we feel defensive, all of those considered negative emotions, we're raised, for the most part, many of us are raised and taught to believe that those negative things are have no place in life and need to just be tamped out and so the common reaction that many people have when faced with those emotions is anger and 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 rage and you become retaliatory the defensiveness only increases and behavior becomes bad and that's putting it very bluntly so it's it's important and i think the crux of what we've been talking about here is that this all comes down to how we raise our children and the idea that science and knowledge should be kept away is false. The idea that we need to shelter children from the ugly realities of human existence is false. Yeah. We need to teach our children everything. We need to learn, how, we ourselves need to learn how to teach them these things. And I think we could all stand to learn from, you know, the curriculum of Atticus Finch in many, many ways. Yeah. Well, I agree completely. They don't make them like that anymore. They do not. And the, Yeah. It's... If you haven't yet, 
pick up a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird and you give it a read. You haven't read it since high school. Give it a give yeah. it a reread. Or buy a copy for your kids. Buy a copy for your nephews, your nieces, your grandkids. That that book will never not have a place in in the world at large. Yeah, there's there's a lot of outdated material that they're still reading in in the public schools, but that book is not one of them. And sit your kids down and watch Inherit the Wind and and let them learn from that as well. Teach them when they have questions about it because they will and they'll be important questions. And also let them know that their rights can be taken away. Yeah, scary because reality. Because there was a time when they didn't have those rights to mm -hmm. learn and their right was to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. And in a world where I can think whatever I want, when I want, how I want, that can go away overnight. Mm-hmm. So if we're not careful, yeah, if we are not careful as a society, we, yeah, and we allow, you know, little fat waddling little despots to, to take their place in the halls of power, those things disappear very quickly. Yeah. So, but one thing that doesn't disappear quickly is us on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in today, guys. Uh, all that nice lighthearted back to school fiasco, <laughs> right? But no, the, hallowed, <laughs> the hallowed halls of education are open for the year. So if you're listening and you're a student, go ask questions, think critically, make mistakes, and learn from them. If you're not a student, keep doing that in life because that's what life is, right? Bum mm -hmm. Bumped knees and scrapes and bruises and either literal or metaphorical. And we get up and we heal them and we make them better and we learn. Well, it's like Rocky said, it's not how life's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Yep. That's how winning's done. Yep. And I That's say it. we should win and we can win and yep. you can win. You can help us win by... Heading over to iTunes. <laughs> Go to iTunes and hit subscribe uh, if you haven't yet, because that helps. And what helps most of all is no matter what country you're in, go onto iTunes and write a little review. Just, you know, 10 to 15 words, no big deal. Just write a little review telling the folks out there how you like our show. Specifically on iTunes, it makes, a, it makes a big difference for us. And give us a little rating. You can also find us on all other major podcasting networks, uh, you know, SoundCloud, the Pocket Cast, Pocket Casts app and Stitcher. I haven't said those in a long time. Still working on Spotify, guys, but they are a little difficult, so we're working on it. You can also find us on the various social media. You can, find uh, us you on... can also find us on YouTube now. Yes. Yes, we I know forgot. some of you guys have been tuning in and listening on YouTube. Yeah. So we will, uh, if you keep listening, we'll keep posting there. Yep. The the we are uploading our episodes as videos. So if that's your preferred method, I was really surprised one day when I used to work at this one restaurant, this one Italian restaurant in downtown Toronto, and one of my coworkers was like, oh, "Are you on? Are you on YouTube? Because I listen to you there." I was like, "No, I would. That's weird." And apparently that was his preferred method. So if you're weird like my like my former colleague, I love and respect you and go on and uh, give us a listen on you on YouTube. We'll be putting up all the episodes. If you feel like we should uh, put up some of the backlog of our episodes or specific ones, let us know. You know where you can let us know? Where? On social media. All right. You can you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at A Frame Apart Cast. We have also started a Facebook discussion group. It is A Frame Apart discussion group, so it's very easy to find. You can also find it through our Facebook page where you can come, post things, whatever you want, comment on stuff, share your favorite memes, share your favorite moments from that week's episode, or whatever the hell, you know, just a place for us to gather and talk about movies and life and have some fun so go head on over and check it out or you can email us at a frame apart cast at gmail.com and if you're celebrating tiff if you're participating in tiff if you're tiffing it up and having fun well go out and have fun just remember don't forget to eat 
stay hydrated, and don't overdo it. Rest is important. <laughs> it's a marathon, man. It's not a sprint. <laughs> is it safe? Um, but yeah, we want to thank you guys very much for joining us for episode 106. Now, there is a chance we may be taking a breather next week. Uh, we're not 100% certain. Depends on how uh, how tiffed Ariel gets. Yeah. Uh, but if we are back... I think we can do it. Yeah. If we if we are back next week, join us for episode 107, where we continue our, our look at back to school from two very different perspectives. Where we'll be talking about the sublime joy and comfort that is Patch Adams versus the movie that is not those things. <laughs> The, uh, the Adam Sandler masterpiece, Billy Madison. <laughs> so join us next week as adults can go back to school too. So remember, until next time, no matter how weird or wacky any of this may seem, every great film and every great idea is just a frame apart. An idea is a greater monument than a cathedral. And the advance of man's knowledge is a greater miracle than all the sticks turned to snakes or the parting of the waters. But now... Are we to forego all this progress because Mr. Brady now frightens us with a fable? Gentlemen, progress has never been a bargain. You have to pay for it. Sometimes I think there's a man who sits behind a counter and says, all right, you can have a telephone, but you lose privacy and the charm of distance. Madam, you may vote, but at a price. You lose the right to retreat behind the powder puff or your petticoat. Mister, you may conquer the air, but the birds will lose their wonder, and the clouds will smell of gasoline. Darwin took us forward to a hilltop, from where we could look back and see the way from which we came. But for this insight and for this knowledge, we must abandon our faith in the pleasant poetry of Genesis. We must not abandon faith. Faith is the most important thing. Then why did God plague us with the power to think? Mr. Brady, why do you deny the one faculty of man that raises him above the other creatures of the earth? The power of his brain to reason. What other merit have we? The elephant is larger, the horse is swifter and stronger, the butterfly is far more beautiful, the mosquito is more prolific, even the simple sponge is more durable. What does a sponge think? I don't know. I am a man, not a sponge. <laughs> what do you think a sponge thinks? If the Lord wishes a sponge to think, it thinks. Do you think a man should have the same privilege as a sponge? Of course. This man wishes to be accorded the same privilege as a sponge. He wishes to think. <laughs>